to choose um, the China over the U.S. Um, and uh, do, you know, does that mean that she's would be happy to um, be uh, to live there? Because uh, you know, mm -hmm. ultimately, that you know, that's the kind of if it's a meaningful choice, you you know, that's the kind of thing that comes with it. Uh, so mm -hmm. it, it, it just seems a little bit um, jarring. There's nothing wrong with it, and it's well within mm -hmm. the rules. There's nothing illegal. Loads of other people mm -hmm. do it. There's lots of <laughs> bicultural people. No reason why mm -hmm. not. But it, it's something a little bit jarring, I, I felt in this case. Welcome back. You're listening to The Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Here at Japan Forward, we bring to our audience issues that are of real importance in and about Japan from the perspective and context of people inside of Japan, as expressed or captured by them who truly understand the nuances of culture, issues, and current events. In today's session, we chat with Peter Tasker, who is a longtime resident of Japan and regular contributor at Japan Forward. Just listening to Peter speak, you can tell he's experienced living in Japan through different phases in the economy and political shifts. He comments on the recent Beijing Winter Olympics, focusing on some complex political issues. And on a much lighter note, he shares some of his movie recommendations. Peter, thanks for joining us today. We we're excited to finally speak with you again. Um, first time we're speaking with you this year, so happy new year. We hope you're, you had a nice um, start of the year already. How's everything going? Yeah, uh, so far so good, as they say, and um, it's good to be back in Japan. Uh, it, was, it was not easy to get in through all the various restrictions, but uh, uh, I made it in the end, and um, I'm really happy to be back. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to hear more about that later. Um, just as we start, we'll have a quick introduction from Naito-san to tell our listeners who or what Japan Ford is. Okay, thanks, Galileo. Oh, uh, well, for anybody unfamiliar with us, uh, we started Japan Ford in 2017 with the goal to reach global audience, sharing stories, opinions, and editorial content from Japan. We noticed that much of the coverage about Japan published by English language media lacked pers perspectives and sentiment from people inside of Japan. Well, in many cases, uh, it was biased and culturally nuanced to create a negative perception of Japan and Japanese. We offered to uh, provide a balance. Our mission, shared by our supporters and followers, is to raise awareness of the Japanese spirit, culture, and tradition. That's what we are. Okay, let's start. Yes, thanks for that, Naito-san. Um, and just a quick introduction of the people in this call at the moment. So I'll go first. My name is Galileo. I'm from originally from Australia, moved to Japan about 14 years ago. And I'm working in Japan Ford, looking into, well, doing the marketing and then content creation side, also on the dev and uh, the website architecture and things like that. And yeah, it's just a very ex exciting team or project to be part of. Shall we have, who's next? Um, I'll go. Uh, my name is Ariel. I'm originally Italian, but moved to Japan four years ago. Um, and after studying Japanese, I started working here, covering a range of topics from uh, culture, 
uh, economics, politics, a bit of everything, including movies that we will be talking about later. So look forward to that as well. Hi, I'm Ed O'Devin. I'm the sports editor of Japan Forward and our sports-specific project, Sports Look. Uh, I've been with the company since May of 2020, working to build up the sports team and to provide a variety of content on Japan-related sports and Japan athletes and teams competing overseas. All right. Thanks, Ed. And how about Naito-san to round up the team? Well, uh, well, my name is Yasuo Naito once again. <laughs> I'm uh, the manager and leading this uh, project. Uh, I'm working for Japan Ford as well as the Sankei Shimbun. Well, uh, our team is very nice, interesting team, exciting, uh, culturally mixed, and uh, with the bilingual stuff. Okay, shall we start then? Yep, and our guest today is Mr. Peter Tasker, who has appeared on a, an episode before, but I guess for our new listeners, they'd like to get to know who you are. So Peter, maybe just a brief introduction. Yeah, uh, thanks Galileo. Um, I am um, uh, have been in, involved in Japan really for a long, long time. It feels like uh, since the Meiji Restoration or slightly after the Meiji Restoration, that's, that's how it feels to me, but uh, uh, um, I, I'm a long-term long -term resident uh, of Japan, but I'm also from uh, the UK, and I spend uh, sort of about my time in Europe, uh, about half and half uh, Europe and Japan these days. Um, I, I'm a writer, and I'm also a, a financial analyst, and I've been involved in the Japanese financial scene for many decades, if I may say that, about nine decades, shall we say. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> So you're pretty much like a senpai for most of, for, for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> In a lot of ways. Okay, so yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, and today, yeah, we want to talk about um, topics of interest, uh, I guess socially, and things that everyone's talking about. First thing is the, the Beijing Winter Olympics. Are you watching, what, which events are you watching? And what, which events have you know, impressed you so far? Well, I've got to be absolutely frank about this, uh, which is, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy the phenomenon of the Olympics altogether, and especially the Summer uh, Olympics. But when it comes to the Winter Olympics, you could say they kind of leave me cold, if I may say that, mm -hmm. um, because uh, I, I, I'm from uh, South Wales and uh, I, was, I was born and brought up there and I never saw any snow until I was mm. about 10 years old. And then well, what is this stuff? And it, it never stayed on the ground for long. So to cut a long story short, in Britain, uh, there is no, um, when, there are no winter sports because we don't have any snow. Uh, you, you know, there's a bit of ice dancing and things like that. Um, but it's, it's sort of a, a fairly unusual um, sport. Uh, and so the Olympics, I follow them with re really uh, out of interest of the phenomenon, but I don't have any knowledge of actually what's going on. And uh, 
One of the things about the uh, the Winter Olympics particularly is that it's a very small selection of the world's population who take part. Uh, They are either uh, people who live in snowy conditions, and so it's it's part of their life, um, or they are wealthy people middle-class people from rich countries uh, who can afford to go on a holiday to these places and have fun in the snow. So it's it, that makes it a, a kind of specialist and niche uh, area. Um, so, of course, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but... Uh, it it's, makes it very different, I think, uh, it, uh, compared to, for, exa- for example, the Summer Olympics. Summer Olympics have got in them that the heart of the Summer Olympics are running, jumping, uh, marathons. You know, these will have been start, started with, with, the, with the ancient Greeks uh, over 2,000 years ago. So this is a very kind of everybody in the world can appreciate who's the fastest guy, who's the, got the most stamina, who, or, or, or women too, of course, uh, uh, who, who, can, uh, who can jump the highest. You know, this is very elemental, basic stuff, and it will never get old because of that. It's you know, very, very um, primeval. So I like the, how you yeah sorry for interject. I like how you mentioned that there's some sort of like class to it. Because yeah. now that you mentioned it, most of the most of the sports in the Winter Olympics, you need like a certain certain amount of like equipment or yes. gear yeah, you, to, you to compete, right? Yeah, and you and what you see like they they're very expensive. Even if you're an amateur skier, and you know the gear, it's not just the skis. Like it's the ski wear and all this stuff. It's high tech. It's high tech stuff. So it's it's a bit of a different thing from you know a guy with no shoes. Uh, uh, you know, running up a mountain or something like that. It's a very, very different scene. There's nothing wrong with that as such. Um, But uh, that gives it a a special sort of niche um, uh, flavor, I think. And uh, it it, it also makes it, uh, you know, the, the Olympics have always been a political phenomenon. And uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, when we think about the mm. Summer Olympics last year that Japan put on in the midst of the pandemic, and a lot of people said, oh, you should cancel them because it's, you know, it's, oh, it's risky, everything's going to be terrible. Uh, but in fact, it turned out to be a kind of organizational uh, triumph, and it showed the world how it's possible to put on these big events, even in the midst of this uh, very, uh, you know, debilitating and economically debilitating uh, pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. So that that is Japan made a kind of a political statement or a statement that was um, important anyway. Uh, so it's not necessarily bad, but it's also there have been throughout history. Of course, the Olympics have been associated with um, propaganda uh, mm-hmm. from, um, of course, the most notorious um from uh, Nazi Nazi Germany in 1936. But even if you go back, you know, way back into the 19th century, Baron, the Baron de Coubertin, who 
created the Olympics. He was did it for political purposes right then, mm. which was France had a bad time in the uh, 19th century, and he wanted to bring back um, values, martial values and values of discipline, uh, uh, etc., uh, to France and try and re recapture France's glory. And to do that, he actually took as his model British uh, private schools, which we confusingly, confusingly call public schools. But in fact, they're, they're the, uh, the, the schools you have to pay for. Um, and uh, those schools had already started uh, sports as an important part of education of young people. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the Baron, the French Baron, thought we should do this on a global scale. And he also said, uh, we mustn't have people who are professionals taking part. And uh, mm -hmm. that meant that he kept out the working classes. Um, and that will be a bit of a theme when we come to the, the Winter Olympics because they, they're yeah. kind of keeping the, the working classes out too, <laughs> but in a different me means because it costs so much money to get the equipment. Um, but so that's then you, you, you had some great athletes uh, like Jim Thorpe, who was the uh, uh, American Indian runner, I should say Native American runner, uh, had his medals removed from him uh, later in life because he'd wow. um, uh, uh, taken part in a race for money and that was considered oh. impossible and, and bad. So there's always been this thing about the Olympics um, and when we look at now what's going on in China of course um, you know it's 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 clearly a, uh, you know, a, a very powerful propaganda tool um, we, we all know about you know the the various problems in China with the uh, uh, the Ouijas and uh, 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 you know the the female uh, uh, tennis player who um, did a sort of me too and has then completely disappeared you know all, all this stuff is going along in the background and probably a lot of stuff we don't even know about um, uh, but Having said that, what the Chinese, uh, the propaganda that the uh, the Chinese are making is is directed towards their own public rather than mm. the the West or other countries um, uh, or Japan. Uh, it's really for the benefit of the um, of the of the public in there in in China. So uh, we're told that six hundred million. Um, Chinese have watched the Olympics, um, which is uh, extraordinary. It's half the population uh, where, uh, in China. I'm talking about here, but uh, in the U.S., the uh, the 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 ratings for the uh, Beijing Olympics are very poor. They're half uh, mm. the ratings of the Seoul Olympics, uh, uh, Winter Olympics, that is. So um, 
what we've seen here is is a uh, um, again a a, a, prop, a propaganda exercise um, which uh, Chinese uh, Communist Party is very very skilled at, and from their point of view. It's probably worked quite well. They'd be quite satisfied with the way it's gone. For the rest of the mm. world, they they get a kind of a bad feeling about it. I think many countries, but there you are. That's that's where that's where we are right now. Well, uh, it's interesting, Peter. Your point that you know uh, the Japan Forward has published a lot of articles in this. Two weeks, almost two weeks, about the Beijing Olympics, uh, and uh, you know there are so many people read our stories, but surprisingly, the most read story was the Ukraine story. Uh, in these two weeks, we published three months ago uh, that you know this situation, that the current standoff between U.S. and Russia uh, will be. Coming that that was you know the, the article we wrote and uh, that article was actually read uh, uh, in two weeks. So uh, the the interest of the the people outside of Japan might be uh, kind of different, especially the American Europeans or the maybe India, the people from India. I don't know. So this is one one fact that uh, we're kind of facing. Well, again, it, it, when you when you mentioned India, uh, Naito-san, that's that's interesting because uh, the 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 the, uh, the Chinese opened the the the, uh, the ceremonies with a soldier who had been involved in the border dispute with yeah. uh, with India. So India was not at all happy and amused um, by this, and I imagine that India is probably. Um, well, so we'll certainly be be remembering this in a different way from the Chinese public. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, thanks for uh, the comment. By the way, there's a lot of history of propaganda in the Olympics. For example, the the Chinese uh, Communist Party, you know, really views this Olympics as a chance to say that the country is organized and is efficient, and you know, it can put on the games despite the the, the pandemic. We're, we've been talking about the differences between the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics. And one thing that stands out about the Winter Olympics is, is the cost of some of the sports. You know, a lot of them are a lot more expensive in terms of um, equipment and, and things you need for, to prepare for the games. With snowboarding, you have the, the suits and you have the expensive boards and you have lessons and, and and rental sometimes rental for the ski slopes and also with hockey ice hockey you have skates and again rental of the of the uh, arenas you have all the equipment and the padding and the helmets and the gloves and the sticks this this really adds up and a lot of countries and a lot of athletes can't afford the, this equipment peter with Olympic games ongoing and your knowledge of japanese history thinking back decades is there a particular headline or a highlight in the history of Japanese Olympians that has grabbed your attention as the most interesting in the past few weeks? Well, there's, I don't know. Well, what, what would you say? Um, I, I haven't really, it hasn't really registered with, with me at, at that sort of level of granularity, as it were. Um, you know, I've, I followed the, um, 
the uh, the, the the saga of the uh, American Chinese uh, skier mm-hmm. who um, mm-hmm. ha- pre- has group. presented herself as Chinese uh, and mm-hmm. has become a kind of darling of the Chinese masses as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, this has now become a sort of political football, as you might say. So the the I haven't really caught up with the sport, to be frank. <laughs> I've been, been following the politics rather than the sport. Just a quick point. The international sports governing bodies pretty much allow all kinds of naturalized citizenship processes to take place for national teams. It happens a lot in sports, and it's happened in Japan for decades. There are a couple of athletes that are part of a prominent Olympic teams. You'll see it in basketball. You'll see it in volleyball. You'll see it in a lot of team sports, especially. We're talking about the success of the Olympics. And if you look at what Japan has done through Thursday's competition, Team Japan has a total of 17 medals, which is the most in its history in the Olympics for the Winter Olympics. Of those medals, three are gold, five are silver, and nine are bronze, which have been accumulated in snowboarding, ski jumping, speed skating, figure skating, Nordic combined, and freestyle skiing. It's really a grand variety of different sports, and it's been a very impressive performance. Japan has been very successful. Well, that's that's good. That's good to know. Yeah. Well, th- thank you for that. Yeah. Um, th- th- that's interesting. Yeah. But I guess comparing with Japanese athletes, I mean, Naomi Osaka as well, in a way, could be a comparison, right? Except. Obviously, the, I think the reason why Eileen Gu in particular is attracting so much attention is because she has really been made a bit the poster girl of these uh, Olympics as regards to the organizers in China. So I think, you know, there's a bit of, uh, you know, people are wondering why, right? And she's been so good at avoiding questions as to why she chose to compete for China. Yeah, I mean, um, So I think she's mm. a bit of a mystery for many people, which is probably why she's attracting so much attention. Yeah, I mean, I think there's nothing there's nothing wrong in itself. Uh, so right, uh, as yeah. Ed says, it's, this is a sort of fairly standard practice. Um, and as you said, Naomi uh, is, is uh, a, a sort of a, a, an equivalent um, case, but it's a bit unusual um, for you know, if for 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 Naomi, she she might have been an American ch- chosen to be U- uh, U.S. or Japan. It's it's not very different, really, is it? Uh, but from 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 her uh, from her point of view, it's you know it's a it's a it's a, it's a, both would be would be a good choice, and she chose Japan. Fine, um, so. But to choose um, the China over the U.S. Um, and uh, do, you know, does that mean that she's would be happy to um, be uh, to live there? Because uh, you know, mm-hmm. ultimately, that you know, that's the kind of if it's a meaningful choice, you you know, that's the kind of thing that comes with it. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it it just seems a little bit um, jarring. There's nothing wrong with it, and it's well within mm-hmm. the rules. There's nothing illegal. Loads of other people mm-hmm. do it. There's lots of <laughs> bicultural people. No reason why mm-hmm. not. But it, it's something a little bit jarring. I I fe- felt in this case. Another maybe layer of um, complication with like China 
um, is their policies is that they don't accept um, dual citizenship. So that, I think that was the major but point I of contention. But I think the US doesn't either, right? Yes, it does. But like particularly for it does yeah, for athletes or for athletes, but for China, okay. like they don't. It does, it doesn't exist. It's well, not supposed to exist. China takes the view that if you're Chinese, you will always be Chinese, and wherever <laughs> you are, um, and uh, that's um, you know that that's that's quite heavy. Yeah. So the paper, I guess, somehow she's the paperwork was went through, and she was able to represent China mm. and win some medals for for China. Um, yeah, I've seen I've seen a lot of reports on that too. Is that is this is a special case? Is this, has this been norm, normal for China in previous competitions? Um, or I think will they a lot of see people, it more ha- happen more? I think a Sorry, lot of people are saying that they kind of invested more into naturalized citizen this time, especially to bring up their medal. I mean, not it's not obviously so it's transactional. This is not what I'm suggesting. But the point is that they were a bit more active in uh, including naturalized citizens this time. Um, and in fact, their medal count has shown it. Like they've improved massively compared to last time. Well, it's um, a kind of a win for them because it shows mm-hmm. that they've got some soft power. Nobody thinks so, but here we are. Look, mm. these sportsmen, these sports people, uh, prefer to 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 um, align themselves with China than the United States. It shows that we are, after all, um, quite quite you know well liked. And um, uh, it's, so it's a win. It's a propaganda win to to China. No question about it. Uh, I don't think yeah. you get that dimension with um, uh, Naomi Osaka at all. That's just a personal issue. Yeah. One thing that resonates with a lot of people is that when there are siblings on the same Olympic teams or in the same events, they see a lot of the problems that the brothers and, and or sisters share the tears, the joy, sometimes the disappointment. And it's happened recently with the Women's Team Pursuit speed skating event. Just as a reminder, in the in the team speed skating team pursuit event, Japan was the defending Olympic gold medalist from the uh, 2018 Pyeongchang Games. And the, in this year's event, Japan entered the final against Canada, the two-team final for the gold, leading on the final turn of the final lap in the final race and two of the three performers Nana Takagi and her younger sister Miho Takagi you know were skating brilliantly throughout the race then Nana Takagi falls down on the final bend of the race on the last lap a very dramatic plunge where she you know tumbles backwards and and slides into the wall and, you know, Japan, it's a split second kind of decision in, in these kind of races where Japan only lost by a couple seconds. But that's really a big gap in speed skating. Nana Takagi falls down and Japan finishes second. And instead of winning back to back gold medals, Japan gets the silver for the for the for the Takagi sisters. It was a heartbreaking uh, result. And for their coach and her, their other teammate, it was heartbreaking. But one thing that really resonated with people, I think, was the fact that Nana Takagi and Miho Takagi were were side by side and supporting each other, along with their other teammate Ayano Sato. And you know they hugged they hugged each other and they and they they stood together. So Peter, the heartbreak of the women's team pursuit was on a Tuesday. 
And, you know, just two days later, Miho Takagi is back in action, the younger sister, and she's competing in the women's 1,000 meter final. I shouldn't say final because you have to qualify among the top 30 to get in the event. So there's two athletes going head to head in the individual events and the, you know, the best times are then tabulated and boom, you're top three, you're a medalist. But Miho, Miho Takagi really refocused and took the energy and the momentum of the disappointment and turned it into a positive. And she ran a, she, she skated a spectacular race two days later, not only winning the gold medal, but setting an Olympic record in the process and sharing that joy with her sister and, and just, you know, for the speed skating community and for her fans and the national team's fans, that was really quite compelling, I think. Those are great stories. There was uh, one in the Summer Olympics, similarly, similarly, I think it was in judo, with a sibling medalists. Yeah, so that's always a, gr- a, great, a great story. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't work the same if they were work if they were on um, had different nationalities though, would it? <laughs> you were going to say something like that. Mm-hmm. I guess that can happen, right? Like it is possible. As, it kind of uh, happened in um, the girls skating, right? I think the the British girl who was who came, I think third or fourth. She is also like Japanese descent, but she opted to represent the UK instead. Yes, yeah. I don't remember yeah. her name. Yeah, so it can happen. I, uh, I had an interesting uh, interview uh, before the Tokyo Olympics where I interviewed a coach for the Hong Kong karate team. Um, and his he was so originally from the UK. And so his son was actually in the Olympic team for the UK. And, um, you know, he said that he he coaches also not just he was in, in this instance, I was interviewing him about uh, a female athlete, but he obviously coaches also male athletes. And so I was asking him, what is it like when you have to go against the athlete that, you know, it, it might it might be your son that you're going against? And he was. You know, he was telling me, of course, that this has no effect on um, his, you know, his relationship with his son and so on. But it must be a tricky situation, mm. for sure. Yeah, those are always great, great <laughs> conflicts and um, make, you know, great, great drama. And this is where I'm going to um, move on to the uh, films about the Olympics. <laughs> <Yes>. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, films about the Olympics. And uh, uh, for some reason, I don't know why this is, but the ones about the Summer Olympics tend to be quite mm. sort of dark. Uh, the good films tend to be quite dark. Like uh, the, one of my favourites was the Clint Eastwood, the, the, the Ballad of Richard Jewell. Uh, you know, it's quite a dark film, but, uh, you know, b- brilliant. And th- then you've got, you know, S- Steven Spielberg's Munich. You know, the, these, are, these are quite, um, you know, disturbing films uh, in what they tell us about human nature. But when it comes mm. to the, uh, the, the um, Winter Olympics, they're mainly comedies, at least the ones that I like, uh, are mainly mainly comedies. 
And my favorite, and I very much recommend this film to anybody, if you're suffering from an excess of Beijing Olympic propaganda blues, what you should do is go to or uh, get onto Amazon or um, Stutaya or whatever uh, and uh, get a hold of Eddie the Eagle. Um, mm-hmm. oh. Which is a, uh, a, a like like all these all the, the best ones. It's a true story. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, about uh, a, a British um, ski jump ski. athlete called um, Eddie Edwards, and it's this his story is he's a, a guy from a working class background. And uh, when he was uh, a, a boy, he w- had some kind of uh, um, handicap. He, he got over it in later in life, uh, in, in later life. But he he couldn't walk or run very well, uh, and he was teased by all the, the other kids at school. Um, but he decided he he found that there was a loophole in the rules to qualify for the winter olympics which were that <laughs> you if you were the the best at something and you had the best time or whatever it might be um you were qualified automatically to go and he figured out that in britain we didn't have at that time maybe we still don't i don't know but we he, we did not have any ski jumpers so he got the record for the year for uh, British uh, ski jumping. It wasn't very far, right? He, he didn't have to go very far yeah. at all to get this record. But that qualified <laughs> him uh, to go to the 1988 uh, Winter Olympics in Calgary, Canada. And he only trained for 20 months ever. He'd never he'd never done it before, and um, he 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 didn't have proper equipment or proper jacket or proper anything, and uh, so uh, he uh, nonetheless took took part in in the uh, uh, in the Olympics and managed to get into the sort of qualifying round somehow. Um, uh, and um, became a hero um, in Britain. That's the sort of r- the real story of what happened. And uh, in the film, uh, it, it, it's uh, it's a comedy. It's, it's, it's very funny. But uh, he uh, shares a ski lift up to the top um, for this enormous uh, um, descent. Um, with uh, a guy called Matti Nikanen of Finland. I think I'm pronouncing his yeah. his uh, name properly. But he's considered to be the greatest ski jumper of all time. And they're both together, Eddie, Eddie Edwards, Eddie the Eagle, and um, Matti in this um, ski lift going up to the top. And um, Nikanen turns to Eddie and he says... Winning or losing, those are for the little people. Men like you and me, we jump to free our souls. What a great <laughs> phrase, right? So 
the, the, great, the greatest ever, as they would say, the goat of uh, uh, greatest of all time of uh, ski jumping ha- senses a kinship with Eddie the Eagle because both of them are just doing it for the hell of it. Um, mm. And um, so that that that's basically the what what the Olympic spirit is what it should be about rather than mm. about um, sort of uh, a propaganda and doping and you know the, the, the Russian girl when did when did she take these these drugs and all, all that stuff um, mm. so uh, it, it's it's a great great film with great performances by everybody and um, I'll add it to my list. Um, I'll, not a prominent director not a prominent director at all I can't remember his name to be frank but no it's it was not um, Ingmar In, uh, uh, Ingmar Bergman or, or um, Martin, Martin, Martin Scorsese or someone like that no not, not, not at all is this the one is this the one that came out in 2015 yeah um, with huge Hugh Jackman yeah that's, that's it well? that's it yeah okay uh, directed he, by Dexter Fletcher yeah apparently. yeah well I, 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 I've mm-hmm. not followed his career subsequently but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, Hugh Jackman is amazing in this film super super, super. <laughs> anyway um, uh, oh you should see yeah, it and the other thing which makes it uh, more, even more interesting is you know this was uh, 1988 what happened subsequently to well uh, to Eddie well um he became a sort of minor celebrity when he when he, he got back to uh, the UK and he sort of overextended himself and went bankrupt and uh, oh wow he but he had the the self knowledge to realize that you know he'd gone off the track and mm-hmm. uh, he he hadn't graduated from high school so he went back to do what we call the a levels in in britain which is for you know kids of 17 or 18 uh, he went back to school did his uh, uh, a levels and then went to university and studied law and got a degree in law so that he wow. would you know be be a little bit more uh, knowledgeable about uh, uh, the, the the ins and outs of contracts and things like that which uh, had proved to be such a problem for him um, and then he went back to his father's business who's a builder and plasterer uh, a craftsman basically and he worked with his dad so he had his moment in the sun and then he went back to r- real life and mm. he's um, went to see the film um, it, was, it came out you know quite a long time after the the events themselves uh, and he said that it was only five um, percent factual but it was totally accurate <laughs> in its depiction of his heart and soul she mm. said <laughs> so that's what happened to him but com- mm. com- com- compare that with what happened to uh, Mati Nikanen. Uh, Mm. He never had known what normal life was. And when he retired, because this, uh, like for many sportsmen, um, their their moment in the sun is quite short, then they've got a long life to to lead after that. Well, he became an alcoholic. Um, He was Mm. married five times. He, He worked as a male stripper and did jail time for stabbing a man in a pizza bar and passed away uh, at a very young age. 
So he, he, the greatest of all time, uh, found it very hard to get back to real life and didn't, mm. basically didn't make it. So that's my first choice. If, if you've had enough of the, uh, the, the Beijing propaganda, this will make you laugh and it will clear, you, clear your mind of, of all the nonsense. Um, but the, the other one that I'd like to mention, which is similar, and amazingly, it was also 1988 Calgary. That must have been a kind of banner year for underdogs and misfits because that is cool runnings. Which is an, a, yes, film, Serenos, Serenos. A, a film about the Jamaican bobsleigh team, and just like uh, Eddie the Eagle was challenging the kind of culture of the uh, Winter Olympics by being a working class guy without any proper equipment. Uh, the Jamaicans coming from a hot country uh, would not be expected to show up uh, in in um, winter sports but they did and uh, again it's uh, there is a a kind of fictional coach both in in the Eddie the Eagle film it's the uh, uh, Hugh Jackman is a kind of drunken ex skier who's kind of lost his mojo uh, and he comes back to train up Eddie the Eagle uh, and in uh, Cool Cool Runnings, if you've seen that, uh, the story is about um, uh, a a guy who actually cheated. He was an Olympic uh, bobsleigh champion, but he actually cheated. Mm. Um, so the, the the story of a comedy is is about change and. The the mentor, the coach, learns from his pupils uh, and becomes a better person. That's a story. That's a sort of classic uh, story of um, comedy, going back to sort of Shakespearean comedy to the kind of rom-com comedies that, that we have today. They're all about change mm. and change for the better um, and learning from other people. So uh, these films, I think, are actually do capture in a strange way what the Olympics should be about and the, the mm. Olympic spirit. And uh, it's not about uh, the next sponsorship deals or getting on the cover of Vogue or anything like that. So it's about, uh, as uh, uh, Matty said on, in the ski lift, it's about the, the hell of it, doing it for the hell of it. So... Um, I, I, I uh, recommend those those uh, two films with uh, uh, absolute uh, uh, conviction. It looks like I have my Ed. weekend planned, my weekend <laughs> set. Ed and Naito-san, you both saw this film, right? Yeah, my favorite one. <laughs> cool Running. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember the first time I saw Cool Runnings, actually, I was on an airplane traveling cross-country in the United States, and it was just such a fun vibe on the plane where people were enjoying the movie, laughing, having a drink, having a meal. And it was such a lighthearted, uh, fun, inspiring, interesting story about a unique tale. I think the first time I saw Cool Runnings was when I was in um, primary school, elementary school. And they, show, they showed it in the class and everyone... 
it was like on a small TV screen and everyone would just gather around it and just lots of comical moments. But like you said, Peter, there's lots of the moral behind, there's, there's a moral to the story and there's lots of things that even like young children can understand without having to be, yeah, without having mm-hmm. to be, to experience all of that stuff that happened in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's it's about the challenge and uh, yeah, the, the, the how, how human beings. Uh, it gives you the good side of, you, of human beings, actually. Whereas the, <laughs> the, the the Summer Olympic films show you the dark side. I guess it's also great that there are still stories like that, right? I mean, quite apart from the films and so on. I think uh, um, this at this Olympics, one story that be, has been talked about is of the alpine skier that for the first time represented Haiti. Mm, mm, um, mm. And, you know, ah, like yes. seeing him come down from the slope and he was eight seconds behind the top, you know, skier. So there was no chance that he was going to get a medal, but he was just so happy that he was, you know, there. And, you know, it was it was a great moment. Like, and I think anybody seeing that would have been really yeah. happy and, you know, um, and it's all to do with this guy from Haiti that decided to call him up and said, would you like to represent, be the first alpine skier for your country? Um, so, and he you know, grew up in France and so obviously had uh, exposure to yeah. winter sports. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was a, it's a good, it's a good story, just like the one that you said. <laughs> because we're talking about films, about, you know, there's a, uh, a Japanese film called Drive My Car, which is... Drive My Car. Um, been nominated for four Oscars, uh, which is really quite dramatic. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, if that if that if that if that works with you, because uh, actually to be to be totally honest, I also saw this film on the plane. (laughs) uh, It's it's actually quite long. It's three hours, and it's one Mm -hmm. of these films in which not a great deal happens. Um, mm. But up over Siberia, you know, um, uh, flying over uh, over Siberia back to Japan, <laughs> uh, it, it was it was just right for me. It was kind of hypnotic film, um, and uh, it's uh, tells the story of um, a uh, theater director who's had some sort of traumatic uh, experience um, and he goes to put on a play by Chekhov. Chekhov is much loved in Japan, um, in Hiroshima. And um, he puts this on and um, he is given a driver to drive him to and from the... um, uh, the theatre, but to his lodgings. So that's basically that. That's the story, and it goes on for a tremendous long time. Um, and uh, it's a huge critical success. It was um, v- chosen as the film of the year by Kinema Jumpo, which is the the major um, movie uh, magazine in uh, in Japan. And uh, it's also overseas had tremendous critical success. But it's it's also, I think, one of these films in which the critics love it, but maybe not so much the audiences when you get down to it, mm. because it's very slow. Um, if you like, it's, it's from a story by um, um, uh, Murakami Haruki. 
who's also mm. a sort of huge uh, global figure, literary figure. Um, personally, uh, I'm, I'm not such a great fan of uh, Murakami, uh, uh, that Murakami. I, I, I prefer Murakami Ryu, <laughs> who's, uh, mm. his, his stuff is much more kind of uh, uh, pa- disturbing uh, and powerful to me. And mm-hmm. if you want a recommend, recommendation for one of his books, there's one mm-hmm. about the a North Korean invasion of Kyushu, uh, which is called From the Fatherland with Love. Uh, and that, mm-hmm. that's a pretty interesting and disturbing uh, and kind of realistic, partly realistic um, mm. story that he came up with like, probably about 15 15 years ago, something like that, maybe longer. Anyway, pretty pretty interesting. Drive My Car, um, I'm, it's, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I love the Beatles. So I didn't, you know, the, this is from a story called Drive My Car by um, Murakami Haruki. Uh, I didn't really like this idea of using the Beatles because his story is about very kind of depressed um, unhappy people, um, mm-hmm. gloomy and um, you know, just silent all the time, and that, that's exactly the opposite of the Beatles. And uh, so uh, you know, it's everything about the Beatles. Is, they drive my car. At least you think he could put the, the theme song of uh, you know of that you know mm-hmm. of the the, the the Beatles song. Um, mm-hmm. But they don't. So they've got some fairly. Um, Drab um, theme mm-hmm. music as well, in, in my view. So it's not it's not at all f- uh, fun. But this d- mm-hmm. director uh, of this, um, mm. uh, I think he's called Hamaguchi Ryuichi. Uh, uh, mm. He he's considered to be one of the you know really up and coming directors in Japan. His previous film, at least one one that I also sat through, is five hours long. Five hours, and again. Wow. But basically, nothing, nothing much, nothing much happens in that. It's called mm-hmm. ha- happy, happy hour, which again to me is strange you know, because um, it, it's it's actually five hours, and then nobody in the film is happy. So it's an unhappy five hours. It should be rather rather than a happy hour. But anyway, his his stuff is very realistic. Uh, it's mm. close to, you know, and the, his characters are quite realistic. But that's, to me, that's not necessarily a good thing because reality mm. is kind of just standard reality is is um, not dramatic and uh, doesn't have any change in it. There's no change. Mm. So the whole idea of stories is that they should have change. If there's no change, it's not a story. Mm. So um, mm-hmm. I was I was a little bit disappointed, uh, uh, to be frank, but though I do hope that it would be good, very good for the Japanese film industry if he, he, he got some... Um, he, he he got some uh, an Oscar for, of of one one of those four Oscars, <clears throat> but uh, mm-hmm. I also felt I, I read an interview with him recently mm-hmm. in which he he basically said you know the, the three um, great directors in Japan considered to be um, Kurosawa, Ozu. Mm. 
um, and Musaguchi. <clears throat> and he said, well, for him, he would kick out Kurosawa and put in um, another director instead. Uh, he didn't think that Kurosawa should be in that rank. And to me, that is like outrageous <clears throat> what? Yeah, you know, that he's, he's kicking out kicking out Kurosawa um, it mm-hmm. is, is like kicking out um, it's like kicking out Ma- Maradona and saying you know Maradona's not, not really a great player uh, you know you, we should have Luka um, uh, Modric from uh, Croatia <laughs> instead well Luka Modric from Croatia is a really good footballer but he's not Maradona there'll never be another Maradona and there'll never be another Kurosawa so uh, you know I felt no the, that's that's not right so anyway that's just my per- prejudice and mm-hmm. uh, let, let's hope that the, 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 it'd be good it'd be good for the J- Japanese film industry at least if uh, the, this um this film was rewarded in some respect at the Oscars coming up next month. I'm interested. Why do you think then it has become so popular with the critics? Because you mentioned that this is the kind of film that critics would love, but why do you think that is specifically? Well, I would say that the the director is very, um, you know, creatively ambitious to simply to have a five-hour film is, you know, extraordinary, really. and three hours is is also it's not that long, but because so little happens in the film, uh, it feels like a, a, a long time. Um, so he's he's sort of um, he's courageous in in what he's doing. So there's no question about that. And mm-hmm. I think people would like to think that he is a bit like. Ozu, uh, because it's about relationships. Though I don't think Mm. there's really, when you get down to it, he doesn't have the depth. And his characters, to me, unlike the characters uh, in Ozu films, his characters are very unsympathetic. I I don't really like, I don't really like his characters. Um, You know, they're self-obsessed and sort of um, cold. So... Uh, I don't get the passion. There's no passion there. Even in 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 Ozu, the passion is hidden. Uh, in mm-hmm. Kurosawa, it's right there, uh, in your face. Um, and uh, I, I just I just miss that sort of passion from this. Uh, to to me, sort of uh, rather cold um, approach. Has anybody else yeah. has anybody else seen this film to give me uh, to contradict my view? <laughs> I was actually going to watch it. <laughs> actually, no, <laughs> no, I haven't seen it yet. But I was actually going to watch it on Amazon Prime. Then that was like, oh, it's a three-hour movie. Well, I, I, ho- I hope I haven't. I, ho- I hope time. I haven't put you off. I mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. no, no, no. You make up your own mind. You do, mm-hmm. Don't take my word for it. <laughs> no, definitely, <clears throat> definitely would love to watch it. It's, it's it's like globally globally acclaimed now. It's getting a lot of attention. It is. So mm-hmm. it, it should. Yeah, it is. It should be worth watching. Well, I can't criticize neither uh, because uh, I didn't watch it. And uh, well, but I want to watch if the uh, you know Chinese this uh, I mean the Beijing Winter Olympic uh, becomes the kind of film 
uh, it's 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 very interesting. So um, <laughs> it's, it might be a kind of very political. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With uh, a lot of humors. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and let's see what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there can be a humorous Beijing Olympic film somehow. Mm. Thank you, Peter, for joining us today. Um, to our listeners, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel. And this recording will be available on Spotify and Apple Music. Make sure you subscribe to that as well. We'll try to do this again next week. So keep an eye out on our Twitter for the announcement. Peter, it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you again for your recommendations. I'm looking forward to watching some of these movies that you mentioned. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Visit our website for more information regarding our podcast and other news on Japan. Catch you next time.